The following program is a presentation of Grand Slam Ministries. It is that time again. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Dan Scott Show. I am Dan. We are presented, as always, by Grand Slam Ministries, our 501c3 nonprofit organization. This is episode 57 and is the fifth one of year number two of what I still consider to be a brand new venture. Hope you are doing well. I hope you have enjoyed the run of guests that we have uh, been blessed to bring you over uh, the last number of months. And I've got to tell you, it's not slowing down. Uh, Continuing today and moving on over the course of the next few weeks, interviews that we have already done, I can tell you that we have some uh, wonderful, thought-provoking interviews that will be coming your way, and that includes the one that we have today. Um, as it comes as no surprise to anybody, the uh, abortion topic is is very much a hot-button issue in our country today, and it, it's always good when you can put a face, or in, in this case, a voice, on someone who has been intimately involved on both sides of the issue. And uh, that has been the experience of our guest today, a lady named Kelly Lester, who had four abortions between the ages of 15 and 29 and now works to not only save babies, but also to help bring abortion workers out of the industry. I'm telling you, when you hear Kelly's story, not only coming from a pro-abortion stance to where she is now as a pro-life advocate, but coming out of a life of drugs and everything else, this is an amazing example of the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. You're going to hear from Kelly Lester when we come back, but first, a word about Grand Slam Ministries. Teenage boys and young men today are in crisis. Statistics show that a home without a father or male role model present is the single biggest indicator of poverty, behavior issues, drug and alcohol abuse, criminal activity, and yes, imprisonment. At Grand Slam Ministries, one of our core missions is developing a mentorship program to teach boys how to become strong Christian men and then teach those men to be the biblical husbands, fathers, and church and community leaders the Bible calls us to be. We need your prayers, we need your ideas, and we need your support. Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our mentorship mission and prayerfully consider how you may be able to assist us. Again, that website is grandslamministries.org. Follow us on social media. Search Grand Slam Ministries on Facebook and Grand Slam for God on Twitter. And don't forget Dan's personal and public figure sites on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You're listening to The Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. 
episode 57 of the Dan Scott Show. Good to have you with us on all of our affiliates. The wide-ranging Life FM network on Saturdays and everywhere else on Sundays, including our international audiences out of Paisley, Scotland and Cape Town, South Africa. Thank you wherever you are for joining us. Hope you uh, enjoy the program and would just encourage you to let us know if you're enjoying it, which is what we really want to hear. But if you're not, we would like to hear that as well. We want any kind of feedback that you have. It's important to hear what you think about what we are doing. The email address, dan at danscottshow.org. And if you were listening, coming right back before the break, it told you all of our social media, how you can find us on uh, X, the artist formerly known as Twitter, Dan Scott Show, the handle there, Dan Scott on Facebook, and uh, Dan Scott Show on Instagram. Would love to interact with you. Love to hear what you think about the program. And you can always find more about what we do and get the archives of past shows by just going to the website danscottshow.org and navigating to the affiliates and archives page okay kelly lester's life story is one that if you took it to hollywood and said let's make a movie about this the hollywood screenwriters probably would laugh at you and say even we could not make up something like this we are talking about someone who suffered sexual molestation as a, a toddler raped as a teenager, found herself not only using drugs, but selling drugs and running drugs for the Puerto Rican mafia. Yeah, the Puerto Rican mafia. And uh, then, of course, four abortions between the ages of 15 and 29 before she heard the voice of Jesus ask her one simple question that consisted of four words. And you'll hear her talk about that over the course of this interview. But as we normally do... We started the conversation with Kelly telling us what she's up to right now. Sure. Well, I um, live in Richmond, Virginia with my husband and our six children. Um, I also am the director of outreach for my church, which is MAPS Global. We are a, a global missional family. We have bases across the 1040 window and we train and send missionaries there as well as serve our city of Richmond here. And I also work for Abby Johnson and her ministry. And then there were none, which is a ministry to former abortion workers and do outreach and government engagement for her. So I get to testify for pro-life legislation um, in different states, as well as potentially this March, I'm gonna be testifying before the Supreme Court, telling my story and, and hoping to set, change hearts and minds. What is interesting about your story and so many of the, the, the stories of the guests that we've had on this show over the past year is that you're not coming from a standpoint of religious piety. You're not looking down your nose at somebody and, and pointing that finger and saying, this is not what you're supposed to be. You're coming to this from a standpoint, you've been delivered from all of this stuff, which I don't know if the kids still use the word street cred or not, <laughs> but, but but you have to have a lot of street cred when you go out and talk to organizations, whether it's just women's organizations or really anybody, when you step in front of Congress, like you said, you're going to. Um, 
it, it is uh, coming from a, I've been there, done that, and by the grace of God, survived it standpoint, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, there is really nothing that you can say you've done or nothing that you could say has happened to you that I haven't done or that hasn't happened to me. You know, from homosexuality, pornography, eating disorders, drug addiction, domestic violence, being molested by a family member. I mean, it's rape, you name it. I have um, experienced it either, again, was either done to me or I chose and made decisions I'm doing it to myself. And so I am definitely a testimony that God can heal anybody because if he can heal, save and redeem me, he can heal, save and redeem anybody. You and I have quite a few things in common as uh, I got to to learning a bit about your story. We're both preacher's kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, In fact, my dad is still pastoring at age 75, almost 76 now. And, um, we both were sexually abused, me by a group mm-hmm. of older boys when, when I was younger. Uh, I also had a pornography addiction. And mm-hmm. I, I want to camp out there for just a moment because when, when we talk about pornography addiction, 99.9% of the time, it's something that's directed at men. And, sure. and, we, and we see stats about it, uh, even in the church, that uh, it used to be the stat was maybe one in three men still had some kind of pornography addiction. I don't know exactly what it is. Now, we don't hear that very often with women. Is it more widespread than we think? Oh, it's absolutely more widespread than you think. It's definitely very prevalent. Um, I think now with the access being what it is, it's even more prevalent than people would know, just like with men. I mean, that's no different than with men. But I have found that the overwhelming majority of the women that I've spoken to who have a pornography addiction also have sexual trauma or abuse. And I'm not going to say all, but the overwhelming majority. And so you can pretty much look that if a woman has suffered sexual trauma or abuse, she has a pornography Um, addiction. And I think that's because she's trying to cover up her reality with a fake reality. And I I know that's for me what it was, was trying to find some way to deal with my, you know, my trauma and what I had suffered in a a way to make it um, look better, you know, and it's, and it, and that led me to pornography and, and led me to, you know, the addiction of it. And then on the other side of the coin, when a man goes through it, like I did, and you are going into that world to, whether it is hide pain, whether it is to seek some kind of satisfaction you're not getting somewhere else, mm-hmm. you, you are suddenly finding yourself, whether you realize it or not, you're you're objectifying women, you are... are getting a a really warped sense of what love is. So when you combine the two, we really see what a devastating effect pornography is having on our society. Yeah. And it's almost for the women, it's almost like instead of being the victim, I'm going to, I'm going to do that. So instead of being objectified, I'm going to take power by, by getting into that kind of a thing. So yeah, it's incredibly toxic 
And it makes sense that we're seeing relationships the way they are. We're seeing the marriage rates, what they are, divorce rates, what they are, because culturally that has become normal. And, and it's become not only normal, but it's actually gone to a level of depravity that I can't even imagine. I mean, there have been some documentaries out there on, on the different kinds of porn. And it's as evil as normal porn is, it has gone to a level of evil that is scary. Um, and normalizing rape, normalizing incest, normalizing pedophilia, normalizing things that you know are the far far extreme which is what the enemy does right he takes something perverts it and then perverts it more and perverts it more and takes it to the far extreme and makes that the normal and, and that's what we're seeing unfortunately when when you talk about and we're going to get into your story in detail mm -hmm. here in just a moment but when when you share your life and the things that you've been through and we know abortion is such a hot button topic we're going to get into that and 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 drugs and all those other things that you mentioned does the subject of women and pornography catch people off guard when you talk about that i honestly i think when i talk about pornography they assume which is actually a correct assumption that i was producing i was acting in pornography right. not necessarily watching it mm -hmm. um i find that it's less of a shocker to people now than it was a couple of years ago mm -hmm. because i think there are there are organizations out there raising awareness to it um you know it is has become something that's not quite the taboo thing to speak of that it was in years pr prior for men and women, especially Christian men and women. So I think because it has become something that has become more aware, people are less shocked by it. Um, so yeah, I, I haven't necessarily encountered that too much, but I'm sure that it exists. I am so glad to see that in the world of Christianity and the Christian church now, it is starting to be developed. I've mm -hmm. had the opportunity to speak on two or three different occasions at Celebrate Recovery meetings, mm -hmm. and and, and sure. it's not just drugs and alcohol, primarily probably drugs right. and alcohol, but also whether it's a pornography addiction or whatever it is, the church finally seems to be acknowledging that it is an issue and doing something about it. Yeah, and there are lots of programs now for specifically for sexual addiction within the church, whether mm -hmm. that be pornography or whether that be a same sex attraction or whether that be, you know, whatever that looks like. There have gotten to be some really great um, programs that are people are actually seeing freedom through and are actually seeing their lives change and actually seeing addiction broken living waters. You know, there's a few of them out there mm -hmm. um, that are doing a really great job of identifying the real issues, the root issues, which we know, you and I both know, the pornography addiction is not the issue. There's an underlying issue that leads to that. And so we can try to stop the pornography all day long, but if that underlying issue is there, nothing's going to change. It's, and so, it's like know, anything it's, else that we're talking about in the, in the world today, it comes down to the heart. And only one, right. and only one thing can change the heart, and that's... That's the relationship with Christ. We're visiting with, with Kelly Lester on this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. All right, so let's go back and let's let's talk about your childhood. You were raised uh, like I was in a Christian home with, with a father who was a pastor. What was uh, what was your childhood like? 
Well, from the outside, my childhood would have looked picture perfect. You know, we had two kids. We lived in the upper middle class, lived on a golf course, um, went to church every time the doors were open. I went to a good school, was active in sports. But I can remember from a very young age of three or four, always feeling shame and not knowing why, um, doing inappropriate things with dolls and not knowing why. Um, and then move into elementary school, I got teased and I got picked on and bullied. And so I felt like I never belonged anywhere. And then middle school, that just increased. And then high school, I developed and became from being this nerdy, quiet little girl to being, I guess, something people thought I was attractive or whatever. And so started getting noticed by boys and, and girls wanting to be my friend. And I had some friends come over and spend the night and they um, said, hey, Kelly, let's sneak out and go to a party, which I didn't know that was something people actually did. You know, I thought you just saw that on like after school specials. But I said, OK, well, we'll sneak out and go to this party. And we did. And at the party, uh, one of the popular boys came up to me and said, hey, Kelly, let's go for a walk. And I couldn't believe, you know, that he was talking to me. And so I went on the walk. And while we were on the walk, he raped me. And I came back, I got my friends, I was in shock, obviously, went home um, the next day, told them what had happened, and they didn't believe me. They said, why would he have had to do that to you? He could be with anybody. And then a couple of days after that, I went to my church and I told my youth pastor and she said, well, Kelly, if you'd never snuck out and gone to that party, that would have never happened. And so while I felt, you know, I felt abused, I felt taken advantage of, I felt like it was my fault. I felt like it was my fault. And I didn't even, I wasn't even worthy of it happening to me. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. my friends said, why would he do that to you? Like I wasn't even good enough for that. And so that just compiled the shame that I'd already felt as a child and, and through the bullying and things. And so I looked for a way to feel loved. I looked for a way to feel belonging and I found that with boys and became promiscuous. And then by the time I was 15, I was pregnant and I had my first abortion. It's just heartbreaking on so many levels, but <laughs> yeah. the, but the one that jumps out to me is you're doing exactly what we hear people like you and, and, and so many different others telling primarily young girls and women today to do if something happens speak up if something yes. happens speak up you spoke up you spoke yes. you spoke up to your church and mm -hmm. and they basically turned their back on you that to me that is heartbreaking yeah it is it, it definitely uh shaped many things for me going forward you know i i didn't I didn't want to disappoint my parents. For my father, I would rather, not that my dad ever did this, but I would rather my dad beat me to a pulp than tell me he was disappointed in me. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't want to say anything to them that would make him disappointed in me. You know, and from for the church saying that it was my fault, I knew that my dad would feel that way. Um, now, I don't believe that now, but at the time, I, I thought that he would feel that way. And and so that definitely shaped my belief of the church. Unfortunately, the more detrimental thing was it shaped my belief of God. Mm -hmm. I believe that God was disappointed in me. I believe that God, you know, thought it was my fault. I believe that God was ashamed of me. Um, and so that 
shaped every decision that I made going forward from there because of that view. Before we go forward, I want to go back a little bit because yep. you said when you sure. were when you were really young, you you found yourself doing inappropriate things with dolls, and you mm-hmm. you didn't know why. And and you said right from the very very beginning when we started talking about this that there was molestation. How old were you when that happened? I don't know exactly. It was before school age, so it was three four years old. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I only know for a fact because I after many therapy and and inner healing and different things, I I called my dad and said, Hey dad, I think this happened. And he told me that there was a time where we had stayed at this person's house when my mom was working and we'd stayed at their house and there were allegations of child abuse. And so they pulled us out, had no idea, you know, it had happened to me. Um, But now, you know, and again, this was many, many years ago. And so even that kind of a topic wasn't, my parents probably should have noticed there was a marked change in personality from me as a three-year-old to me as a four-year-old. There was a marked change in certain things, but they just didn't have the awareness. Um, so while I have no memory of the situation, there's a lot of confirmation that that happened in that way. Which lays the groundwork, as I know, for a lot of things that become issues moving forward that we've Absolutely. been talking to. So, so my question, and I'm sure the question of a lot of people who are listening to this, you, you talked about having your first abortion at age 15. How were you able to do that without anybody finding out, your, whether it was your parents <laughs> or, or did they find out? No, they didn't. So we went to my boyfriend's mother and told her. And she said, no problem. I'll take you and I'll, we'll get the abortion. And again, this was over 20 years ago. And so the topic of abortion was not what it is now. It mm-hmm. wasn't something that people talk about, talk, spoke about. I'd never heard the word abortion, but I did understand that I was pregnant and I didn't want to be and that this was a way for that to happen. And, and this woman was a woman who was trusted in my life. She was, you know, a team mom for my sports. She was a leader in our PTA. She was, you know, well-known in the community. And so when she gave me that advice, I trusted her advice and thought this is the best thing to do. Um, And so I went in and they gave me a judicial bypass on my age. Um, I don't even think they checked my ID and gave them cash and had my first abortion. And while there had been numerous traumatic things leading up to that point, that day marked my my life and changed me and i i completely ran from everything good i you know that's when i started heavily drinking heavily using drugs um just everything went up on on a level because i thought i would never be forgiven for killing my child yeah, yeah. and so yeah it, it it's interesting that that would be the thing that would kind of push you over the edge but that just goes and speaks to the level of trauma that we hear all the time about young ladies who end up going through this. Yeah, well, before that, I everything had been done to me. You know, mm-hmm. I had been molested. That wasn't my fault. I had been raped. That wasn't my fault, although I believed it was on some level. But this was something that I chose. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was a different level of it was a different level of depravity and trauma, for sure. I mean, abortion is always come abortion always comes out of trauma. And abortion is always traumatic. And, um, you know, and I, I experienced that for sure. Visiting with Kelly Lester, who is now a staunch anti-abortion advocate with uh, six children of her own, lives in Richmond, Virginia. She's our guest on this week's edition of the Dan Scott Show. So from that moment, 
who was Kelly Lester for the next X number of years? Uh, she was not someone you would want to know. Uh, I was running drugs for the Puerto Rican mafia, um, was, you know, selling drugs very heavily in this area, going up and down the East coast. Um, and again, that was when the depravity just intensified. So I was doing pornography. I was involved in homosexual relationships. I had eating disorders, tried to kill myself, um, just was going down the wrong path. Had uh, another abortion at 19. I had a chemical abortion, um, which I had had the surgical abortion at 15. I thought, that's terrible. I don't want to do that again. This will be quick and easy, or that's what I was told. And so I had a um, abortion by pill, which was not quick or easy. Um, in fact, it was very traumatic. And I had to move from the apartment that I was living in because of the experience. And then continued in on that lifestyle and lived that lifestyle, was bartending and selling drugs and doing all of those things. Um, and then there was a point in my life where I wanted to help people and get out of that lifestyle. I was seeing my friends die. And so I looked for a job and saw that a women's clinic was hiring and went to the address. And it was where I'd had my first two abortions. And so I got hired as an abortion worker and actually worked in the abortion industry. Um, and that was another crazy experience, you know, went in, I went in because people will ask me, Dan, why would you, you had a traumatic experience with surgical abortion. You had a traumatic experience with the chemical abortion. Why would you work in the abortion industry? I figured I had to be the only one who had that experience because there's no way if my experience was the norm, that people would be having abortions. There's no way that we wouldn't hear how horrible it was. And so I assumed, honestly, I thought it was kind of a, it was kind of my punishment for living the way that I had lived, you know, that I had that experience. And so I went to work in the abortion industry and realized very quickly that my experience was not isolated. In fact, it was more the norm than the exception. Um, and after about nine months working there, I left because I couldn't deal with what I was seeing and what I was experiencing. You know, as, as I'm listening to you talk, and, and I don't say this flippantly at all, please understand where I'm, I'm coming from when I say this, but 35 or 40 minutes of a radio show really doesn't do this justice. This needs to be about a six, <laughs> about a six part documentary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> But we'll do the the best we can to encapsulate all of, all of this. Uh, you just kind of breezed over two things that maybe we can touch on quickly and move on. But how does a sure. how does a girl from Richmond, Virginia, get involved with the Puerto Rican mafia? And and, <laughs> and, and then you you kind of breezed over the the homosexual relationship part sure. of thing. Could you just address those two things quickly? Yeah. Well, I am very convincing. So I. And I, anything I do, I do a thousand percent. And so when I started selling drugs very quickly, moved up. And, and as a 18, 19 year old girl, it was very attractive for them to have me run drugs because nobody would suspect that I was running drugs. And so it happened with connection and relationship. And that just, you know, was a kind of a quick and easy thing. Um, the homosexuality was. I was looking to fill holes. Mm -hmm. You know, I had been abused by men. I had been raped by men. And I was looking to not feel that. And honestly, was just looking for love anywhere. I would I would take it from anywhere at any time, anybody. Um, and so that, that's, you know, that's where that, that happened. Um, 
which in the lifestyle that I was living was not super rare either. Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody was kind of everywhere, all over the place. You ended up with a total of four abortions, is that correct? Correct. And and the first two were at 15 and 19. How old were you when yes. the other two came? I was like 22 and my, with my third, and then I was 29 with my last. Did... did... I even hate to use this phrase, but, but did, did it get any easier? Yes, it did. Yeah. And, and the reality is I used it as birth control mm -hmm. and that's a, that's a hard thing to say, you know, a hard thing to admit, but I did, I, I didn't like the way birth control made me feel. I wasn't responsible. If you can be responsible when you're having promiscuous sex, I wasn't responsible. And so when I would get pregnant, that was the answer, you know, and I, I was, I was under the same lie that many women are, that it was the best thing that I not have a child, not only for me, certainly for me, but also for that child, because I was in drug addiction. I was in domestic violence. I was in these things. And so to bring a child into the world, into those situations, I was I believed the lie that it would be better for me not even to have that child. And, and, and there were a lot of people who were willing to perpetuate that lie, I'm sure. 100%. 100%. Yeah, I mean, that was the common thing. Um, and when you're under a, a shroud of deception, you don't know the truth, you know, and you can't see the truth and you can't hear the truth. And it's easy for those of us on the other side of truth to see people like that and, and say, you know, how, you're a murderer and how can you do that? And but you have to understand they can't see the truth. And so, um, you know, I was there. That was me 100%. I was blinded to the truth and and didn't, didn't feel like I had any other options, honestly. And I know things work differently for different people, but when I was going through all of the, the missteps that I went through, the cheating on my wife, the pornography, the drinking, all of that, the, the, the grounding that I got from having a dad who was a preacher and a pastor and, and the home life that I had, which was a good home life for a little boy growing up in the coal fields of Southern West Virginia. I had a great childhood, but that never left me. I, I always knew what I was doing was wrong. I was just able to shove it somewhere in the back of my head and, and, and get rid of it for a while. Did, did your upbringing and having a dad as a pastor, did that stay with you through all of this stuff or did it completely leave you for a while? It definitely stayed with me. I think much like I ran from God, I ran from my dad. People, people ask me all the time, you know, what was your dad saying in these times? My dad didn't know a lot of what was going on because I was a runner. And so he would know when I was doing badly because he wouldn't hear from me. Mm -hmm. You know, I wouldn't come home. I wouldn't, you know, we didn't have phones like we have now where you have video. And so it, it was a little bit of a different time, but I would hide from him because I knew that my dad would see the truth. And again, the worst thing that could possibly happen is my dad to feel like, say he was disappointed in me or for me to feel that from him. And so it stuck with me, but I, I, I really, Dan, I always thought, this is the truth. I thought one day I'll grow up and I'll turn everything around and at that point, I'll stop doing what I'm doing and I'll become a good person, you know, and I'll, I'll I'll do those things that I know I'm supposed to. But right now, I'm just having fun. I'm just trying to, you know, live the rock and roll lifestyle. And 
And I just covered it with that, you know, and, um, and the, the voices in my head telling me 24 seven that I was worthless, you know, that I was no good, that I, that I was an embarrassment and all those voices, I would drown out with drugs and alcohol. And so that led to a lot of the decisions that I made because I was, I was living with that. And then one night it almost led to you losing your life. Correct. Yeah. I was living in new Orleans and had moved down there with a boyfriend and decided after it was a very violent relationship, we decided that I was going to come home and we went out to party again one last night and that turned violent as it usually did. He came home several hours later, I came home and the fight intensified. And there was a point in the evening where we had torn the door off the door frame and there was a, a board, a one by four or a two by four laying on the ground. And he pushes me down on the ground. He picks up the board. He's kneeling over top of me with the board. He goes to hit me over the head with it. And mid-swing, he drops the board. And he punches me in the face several times. My face explodes. Blood goes everywhere. And he's like, oh, gosh, I've actually really hurt her. And so the fight stops. And then the next morning, I wake up, and I have text messages and phone calls from my dad, who is the last person you want to talk to after a night like that. So I didn't. 24 hours later, I got in my U-Haul with all my belongings and I came back to Virginia. My dad meets me and I get out of the car. My eyes are swollen shut. They're black and blue. My nose is flat and crooked. My mouth is all busted up. And as soon as he sees me, he begins to cry. And I said, oh, dad, you know, I was in a car accident. And he says, Kelly, two nights ago, I was asleep. And in the middle of the night, I was awoken by the Lord, and I had a vision of you laying dead on the floor with your head split wide open. And so I began to pray. And I realized that the night when my boyfriend had dropped the board was the night at the time when my father had been woken and prayed for me. And so my dad's prayers literally saved my life. I didn't tell him that, of course. Um, but then several weeks later, I was sitting in the front pew of his church, and he gave the altar call as he usually did. And I heard the voice of God and it was not the voice that I'd expected to hear. It wasn't an angry, judging, yelling at me. It was my dad. It was my father, God saying, have you had enough? And I then said, but God, you know, how can you forgive me for all the things that I've been through? How, how can you ever forgive me for, you know, the, the molestation and the rape and all the things? And he said, Kelly, if you follow me, I will make beauty from ashes which I know now is scripture, it's Isaiah 61, but I didn't recognize that at the time. And, and then I said, but God, you know, how are you going to make beautiful all these things? And he didn't answer me because sometimes God speaks with an audible voice and other times God is silent. Um, but I can tell you that every single area of my life where the enemy meant to steal, kill, and destroy, God has saved, healed, restored, and redeemed. And one of the ways is by doing things like this. You know, getting to share my story, um, bring hope to other people, because you can't make beautiful being molested at three. But when I share how God's healed me from that and it gives hope to somebody else, you know, that's God making it beautiful or being, you know, raped or running drugs. But when there's a parent that hears that and their child is living in that situation and it gives them hope for their child, that's how God makes it beautiful. And so that's what he's done with every area of my life. When you gave your life to Christ and, mm -hmm. and you finally started having these conversations with your dad, did you find out that he knew a lot more about what was going on than you thought he did? Yeah, he definitely suspected things mm -hmm. for sure. Um, 
you know, he definitely had some ideas, but I was a grown-up, you know, I was, he didn't realize any of the things in high school. Like he didn't know about being raped. He didn't know about being molested. He didn't know about the abortions. Mm -hmm. Once I left the home and became an adult, things took a dramatic turn and were a lot harder to hide. And so he definitely had ideas, but didn't know how to help me. Right. Um, and unfortunately at that time I had a sister who ran away from home. And so they were very focused on her. She was much younger than me. And so their focus was on her um, a bit more than me. But yeah, he knew. He definitely had some ideas. I think there are two absolute truths here that, that again, I think we share in common. Number one, sometimes you have to hit bottom. And yes. God, God will allow you to hit bottom because when you do, the only place you can look is up. And That's right. and, and you obviously had hit bottom. And the other one is... We, we placate ourselves with this lie sometimes, or the devil will lie to us and say, well, you need to really get yourself straightened up before God will accept you. And it's just the right. opposite. You have to come as you are, and God will straighten you out. That's right. There's no way that you're going to get straight without him. And so the, that's, that's, I mean, Jesus speaks of that all throughout the Bible, and, uh, and that's definitely the reality of my life. I, I needed him in order to become straight. And even with him, it wasn't quick and easy. You know, it took work. It took, it took therapy. It took reading my Bible. It took inner healing. It took a community around me. It took a husband who was speaking life over me, um, you know, for that to change. But Jesus was the thing that opened the door for the possibility of any of those things. So after all of this, how did you meet your husband and, and, and this incredible family life you have now? I mean, six children and, and doing everything that you're doing. I mean, God has obviously taken you from one extreme to the other. Yes. Well, and you said 40 minutes is not enough time. That's a whole nother episode <laughs> on my husband. Uh, but we actually dated in high school and uh, met at the McDonald's up the street from me. He was a skater boy and I was a skater girl. And we quote unquote dated. That's a very loose term for what we did. And then uh, he gave me a hickey and my dad forbid us from seeing each other. And we separated for 13 years and then got connected through MySpace. And he was living in California and I was in Virginia and his profile came on and it was all about a missions trip that he had taken. And so I contacted him and said, oh my gosh, you got saved, I got saved too. And uh, he called me, and the night that he got the message, he wrote in his journal that I was the one that got away and he was going to marry me. The next day, called me, and I hung up the phone with him. Again, he was in California, I was in Virginia, and I turned to my best friend and I said, I think I just spoke to the man I'm going to marry. And a couple months later, we got married. That, that's that, that, <laughs> that, it's an incredible story, but I, I'm just laughing that, you know, again, with everything that you've been through, a hickey? Yeah. <laughs> of of all yeah. of all things, a, a hickey. I know. I know. There yeah. there well, there there is a there is a touch of hilarity in that, Kelly. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's true. If my dad only knew what was actually going on, he'd have been happy about it. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I, I, I get it. Trust me. Um some time ago I was listening to uh, I think it was Dr. David Jeremiah. And he, he was doing a, a sermon on forgiveness mm -hmm. and the, the, the topic of abortion came up mm -hmm. and he was talking about how so many women that, that he has counseled over the years, they, they have this, this inability, it seems, to forgive themselves. And, and that sometimes is a barrier to them 
accepting Christ. But one of the things that he pointed out is that A, God's forgiveness knows no bounds, and B, and B, we believe that life begins at conception. One day there's going to be a reunion in heaven with you and that child. So you've, you've got six children here, but yes. you, you've got a welcoming committee that's waiting on you in heaven right yes. now. Do, do you ever think about that? So uh, tell you another funny story, not funny story, but touching story. I, I had a dog that when I was going through a lot of my craziness, he was my kind of my grounder. And when I moved back home after the, the, the domestic fight and moved in with my parents, this dog came with me. About three weeks after living there, he ran out of their house, heard some hunting dogs, ran out in the street and got hit by a car and died instantly. And it was at, up to that point, it was the most devastating thing I'd ever experienced in my life. And my dad, the next morning, told me that he had a dream. And my dog's name was D.O.G. He had a dream and D.O.G. was in heaven running in a field and there were four children running with him. Wow. And my dad did not know about the abortions, did not know the number. But as soon as he said it, I knew. And so it was like the Lord was like, I got this, you know. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely think about that. The other time that I thought about it, I've, I've told my children now because my story is reasonably public um, parts of my story. Mm -hmm. And my older kids didn't really say anything about the children. My youngest daughter, when I told her, she said, wait, mom. So that means there would have been 10 of us. And I said, well, honey, I don't know that there would have been 10 of you because I don't know, you know, I don't know what the Lord would have done. But one day in heaven, there will be 10 of you. And she it was like she needed that answer. And she was like, OK. And then she moved on. Um, so, yeah, you know, those those kinds of moments. Um, definitely. I think about that. It, it has to be. Has to be comforting. It, it, ha yes. it, ha it has to be. I don't want want to use the word empowering probably not the right word but but it does have to give you the strength and, and the peace to know that that god is such a forgiving god and and the the blood of jesus covers every sin no matter what it is that even inside of that one day there's going to be a a happy heavenly yeah. reunion that's that's got to be just uh i would imagine a great comfort to someone who went down that road not once but four times yeah i mean that's that's what god does right that is the making beauty for ashes. that is taking something horrible and making it beautiful knowing that they are in heaven right now you know with him is is incredibly comforting and definitely um gives you a lot of strength to know in his grace he's so graceful and so merciful to um to do that and uh you know so yeah it, it's definitely a comforting thing and, and one of the evidences that god has something of a sense of humor i think is, is that he will take you out of a situation he'll get you cleaned up and he'll put you right back in it but in a different way and, and now here you are working with people who have been in the abortion industry mm -hmm. if, with, through the And Then There Were None Foundation and, and trying to help others experience what you have experienced from that. Um, you never knew that you were being called to be a missionary in this particular field, did you? 
No, I didn't. Yeah, when I when I share my story, I often say, you know, the very thing that the enemy meant to come and destroy you with is the very thing that God wants to take to use to destroy the enemy. And this certainly is one of those examples. My experience in the abortion industry um, gives me great an- ammo to destroy the enemy and to help other people like myself come out. What, what are you seeing in, in your work now? Are, are you seeing women who are beginning to understand, and, and maybe even men, I don't know, you can tell me, but who are beginning to understand it, exactly how evil this is? It takes a revelation. Mm-hmm. Like it really, when you go in, people go in thinking that they're helping, thinking, the, believing the lies that, you, that we hear through the media, believing the lies that Planned Parenthood perpetuates. They go in and see the realities, and even when you're seeing the realities, you don't see the realities. You know, you have scales on your eyes. So it change only happens with those scales being removed. And sometimes that's a situation, you know, of a baby being born alive or a woman hemorrhaging in an emergency, you know, in the recovery room or, you know, a dad outside pleading for her not to go through with this or whatever. There, there's something that has to happen that causes those scales to be removed. Um, and then... You know, then you all of a sudden see all the horrors. And we have over 680 former workers who've left. And the stories that we have to share about what we saw and what we experienced um, need to be heard and thankfully are getting out there. Um, but it, you know, it does take a revelation. It really does. But I mean, but that's a praise. Almost 700 yes. people who have come out of the industry. And at the same time, I would imagine that that Satan is throwing everything he can at you right oh, yeah. now because of the work that you're doing. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, he hates it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, without without question. How can people find out more uh, about you and your story, and, and in particular some of the things that you're involved in now, if they want to help or if they want to ask questions, just find more information. Kelly, how can they do that? Easiest way is on Facebook. Um, so you can go to Kelly Lester Speaker on Facebook find me there. Um, Ambassador Speakers Bureau is who is my agent that books me to speak. Um, So you can contact me that way. And then the organizations, um, you can go to prolove.com and that will lead you to, and then there were none in ProLove Ministries. Um, And then mapsglobal.org is the church and the missions organization that I work for. Well, I can't tell you how thankful uh, and grateful I am that you uh, took the time, uh, especially again on short notice, to uh, share your story with us. And I just hope and pray that you continue to um, have a marvelous effect uh, on what is a a great evil uh, on society and the abortion industry. People need to continue to speak up, and I'm glad there are people like you on the front lines. Well, thank you, Dan. I'm glad there are people like you asking the questions because you give us a way to do that. So I appreciate you inviting me on. And that was our interview with Kelly Lester. I can't thank her enough again for continuing to share her story. It's it's a powerful story, again, of God's redemptive grace. And you talk about coming from darkness to light in multiple aspects of her life. You just heard that story. I hope it had an impact on you. We need to take a break, and we'll come back and get into the final segments of the show. But again, here's something about Grand Slam Ministries. 
Grand Slam Ministries exists to glorify Jesus Christ in multiple ways through this radio show and its accompanying online, digital, and video components through our sister websites, danscottshow.org and grandslamministries.org and through furthering our core missions, mentorship, and providing food and other necessities to children. None of this is possible without your prayers and support. By making a gift to Grand Slam Ministries today, you'll not only help with this program and keep it on this radio station, you'll help us grow our family of stations, allowing us to bring stories of God working in the lives of men and women everywhere to a larger audience. And at the same time, your gift will help us in the initial launch of those core mission programs. Grand Slam Ministries is in its infancy. We need your support. Will you help us today? Visit our website, grandslamministries.org, and prayerfully consider a one-time or monthly gift today. And above and beyond anything else, please pray for our ministry. Thank you, and God bless. Every day there are children who leave school on Friday and eat little, and sometimes nothing, until they come back to school on Monday. It happens in every community, including yours. Many of these children live in circumstances that deprive them of basic needs necessary for a quality life. At Grand Slam Ministries, we want to change that. We want to invest in our children, giving them hope for the future. That investment includes necessities such as food, clothing, school supplies, and a safe environment to play, to study, to live. Please visit our website, grandslamministries.org, to find out more about our ministry and how you can help. We're just getting started. Will you come alongside us for the children's sake? Again, that's grandslamministries.org. Like what you hear? Have a question or comment? Maybe a guest suggestion? Drop us an email and let us know. Dan at danscottshow.org And now, back to the Dan Scott Show, presented by Grand Slam Ministries. Final segment of this week's show, episode 57 of the Dan Scott Show. Again, our thanks to Kelly Lester. You heard her reference... Abby Johnson and the and then there were none foundation who Kelly works with now to bring uh, abortion workers out of the industry and to date the number that she gave 680 workers they have been able to bring out of the abortion industry which is just uh, an incredible and phenomenal praise Abby Johnson is going to be a guest on the show in a couple of weeks I was able to make contact uh, with her uh, interviewed her earlier this week. So in uh, two or three weeks, you'll actually hear Abby Johnson. And you may uh, remember her story from the book and the recent movie, Unplanned. Abby ran a Planned Parenthood um, facility for a while before coming out of the industry, giving her life to Christ, and now again another very staunch pro-life advocate. So Abby Johnson is coming up uh, in a couple of weeks. Between now and then, we have uh, a gentleman named Rusty Strap, who was a former college baseball coach. 
who now has a ministry of leading churches on an interim basis when they are searching for a new pastor. We also have Shane Pruitt from the North American Missions Board who will be joining us on the program, a dynamic young preacher who is making just an incredible impact, especially among the the youth in our country has a, a brand new study out called Revival Generation, and I can't wait to talk to him and have you hear our conversation, not only because of that, but because uh, unfortunately now we share something in common. He and his wife lost their adopted son, Titus, a little more than six months ago. And of course, if you've been listening to the show, you know that our nine-day-old grandson, Grant, passed away earlier this month, Shane had tweeted out something about children being in the arms of Jesus and the assurance that they'll be in heaven just a couple of days after Titus passed away back in August. And I bookmarked that tweet, not uh, thinking that I'll be able to maybe use it to help somebody sometime, never thinking that I would be using it to comfort my own family. So we're going to talk about that in that conversation in a week or two with Shane Pruitt. Listen, thank you for tuning in. I'll just remind you that we do need your support. If you can find it um, in your heart to consider making a a one-time or a monthly gift to help us with the uh, airtime that we have to buy for the radio show and the other aspects of our ministry, we would uh, be forever grateful. You can go to danscottshow.org navigate to the Grand Slam Ministries page there, and there's a tab where you can donate. Or if you want to send a check, you can do it. Make it out to Grand Slam Ministries, P.O. Box 35, Central South Carolina, 29630. Central South Carolina, 29630. We will look forward to being back with you again next week. Hope that you have a great rest of your weekend. Until next time, I'm Dan Scott saying God bless you and so long, everybody.